What's up, guys? This is Ryan, and I'm here with Mark, and we are Bible Dingers. But Nick's not here. We are t- we are two thirds of Bible Dingers. Um, Nick is actually working. <laughs> what a loser! I know, right? Um, so he could not be with us for this interview. Um, but we decided to do an interview on premillennialism here after the Book of Daniel, um, because dispensationalists who typically turn out to be premillennialists get a lot of support for premillennialism from the book of Daniel. And you will hear about that a little bit more from our guest today, Dr. Mark Bailey. Mark, do you want to tell us who Dr. Mark Bailey is? Yeah, he uh, stole my name. and <laughs> Oh, hi, Mark. Yeah. I just had to show Ryan that, <laughs> that meme today because he's never heard of it. I haven't. Um, so yeah, we're going to be interviewing Mark Bailey who, if you remember, we had him on the show about a year ago. We did. At the time of this recording, at least. Exactly a year ago, yeah. Yeah. And to the day. <laughs> is that true? Yeah. Oh, wow. We interviewed him on this day last year. That's crazy. Um, so, yeah, we had him on for dispensationalism, and now we're having him on for premillennialism. So he's the big word guy. <laughs> uh, so Dr. Bailey assumes the seminary's presidency after years of service as both a professor in the Bible Exposition Department and as the vice president for academic affairs. In addition to his years at Dallas Theological Seminary, he has pastored various churches in Arizona and Texas. He was a seminar instructor for Walk Through the Bible Ministries for 20 years and is in demand for Bible conferences and other preaching engagements. His overseas ministries have included Venezuela, Argentina, Hungary, and China. He's also a regular tour leader in Israel, Jordan, Egypt, Turkey, Greece, and Rome. His board service includes Bible Study Fellowship, Insight for Living, Jews for Jesus, and Walk Through the Bible Ministries. Yeah, so Dr. Mark Bailey, he's the president of Dallas Theological Seminary, and he's also the senior professor of Bible Exposition. So a little bit about Dr. Bailey's education. Uh, He got an associate's from Maricopa Technical College, a bachelor's from Southwestern College. He got a master's of divinity from Western Seminary. He has a master's in theology from Dallas Theological Seminary. He also has a PhD from Dallas Theological Seminary and a doctorate from Dallas Baptist University as well. So he's double doctored and mastered all of this stuff. He knows a few things. He knows a couple of things, yeah. So... uh, we are really excited to have Dr. Bailey on the show again. He's a friend of us, of the show at this point, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy the interview. Thanks again for being on. I know you're really busy. I know you got a lot going on. So I wanted to thank you for being on the show. Uh, my privilege. All right. So Dr. Mark Bailey, let's jump right into it. The first question I wanted to ask you is if you could please define the beliefs of premillennialism for us. Sure. Well, pre and millennial uh, is where we get the idea, which means before the millennium or before a thousand years. And so premillennialism is the belief that uh, that Jesus Christ will physically return to earth as he promised in Acts 1, 6 to 11. 
and will set up uh, his throne in Jerusalem uh, that uh, will bring both judgment and blessing, as Matthew 19 uh, and Matthew 25 uh, predict, and will reign over the whole earth for a thousand years. And we get that thousand year period of time in Revelation 20 with the multiple references to that thousand years as a time sequence before, beginning, during, and after uh, references to events that surround that period of time. So it's, uh, in short, it's uh, the, the, before the millennium, Christ will return to the earth uh, to establish an earthly kingdom prior to an eternal kingdom. And that's the, the, basically a, a brief summary of what is meant by premillennialism. Okay, and um, <clears throat> just kind of to, to clarify, is there any kind of beliefs that entail literal uh, kingdom here on earth or something like that as opposed to other belief systems about the the rapture and the millennium and stuff like that? Sure. Uh, yeah, because you have a time frame and you have Christ reigning and uh, with Satan being bound, uh, then all of the references to what will that kingdom uh, be ruling with a rod of iron in uh, justice, peace, and righteousness. Uh, so it is a, a literal kingdom prior to the eternal kingdom. And as we'll see uh, in some of the other questions that you asked uh, related to the book of Daniel, uh, it's, it's a literal political kingdom that supersedes all earth, earthly political kingdoms. It's obviously spiritual in the fact that it's, uh, you know, holy as opposed to unholy kingdoms. And so, uh, yeah, it entails a, a, a literal reign of Christ. If a thousand years is an a, a round number, in other words, if I get there and it's 950 or it's a thousand five, and that's a round number, that's not going to bother me at all. But it is a, a period of time that's marked off within time, as we'll see in Revelation. And so a, a literal return of Christ, bodily return of Christ, in the same way you've seen him go, he will come in like manner. How did he go? physically, visibly, into the clouds. He'll come back, as the Bible says, on the clouds or in the clouds to physically, visibly touch planet Earth. Zechariah chapter 14 uh, talks about that when he sets his foot on the Mount of Olives and it splits between uh, the north and the south, creating a way of escape for the remnant. Uh, and so you have literal terms, literal geography, literal time. And so uh, it does entail a, a literal kingdom of Christ on the Earth prior to eternity. Wow, that's really beautiful. Um, so, Dr. Bailey, we're going through the book of Daniel, and um, we're just curious if there's support for premillennialism in that book, and if the tribulation is also talked about in Daniel. And the answer to that is uh, both yes. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, but uh, there's about six passages that I think uh, support premillennialism. The three most uh, relevant and prominent would be chapter 2, chapter uh, 7, and chapter 9 with regard to the order. And uh, in each of those, the, the basic sequence is the same. When you put those passages, you've got four literal kingdoms, uh, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And uh, at the end of all of that, there's sort of a, a revisited Rome, a redevised Rome uh, in the image of Daniel 2, etc., and, uh, and then you have the kingdom of the Son of Man coming on the clouds. And so in each of those, you have the, the human kingdoms preceding the final kingdom, which is Christ's kingdom. And that matches up in each, in each of those, basically, uh, with the image of gold, for example, uh, in chapter 2, the head of gold representing Babylon, 
That's followed by Medo-Persia with the breast and arms of silver. That's followed by Greece, represented by the belly and thighs of brass. And the Roman Empire, uh, represented by the legs of iron, that follow the Grecian Empire. And then you have a, uh, a second stage, which is a mixture of the iron uh, in the imagery with a, a feet of iron and clay that seems to be sort of a, a, a delayed period of time at the end. Uh, and then uh, that uh, all of these kingdoms are followed by the second coming of Christ, who establishes an everlasting kingdom, as you have in both uh, Daniel 2 and Daniel chapter uh, 7, uh, highlighted pretty specifically. Uh, so I think premillennialism is taught. I think it's the basic sequence. You, uh, there's a, uh, some interesting things, if I can, you know, stop me any time if we need to stop. But uh, just, uh, you know, premillennialism vis-a-vis amillennialism or postmillennialism, and we can talk about those other views uh, as you've asked. But uh, I think the interesting thing is that uh, this is not a gradual development of a kingdom. In other words, what you have in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 9 is you have a, a, a quick, sudden, uh, climactic end of human history with the coming of the stone imagery that crushes the rest of the, the, the statue in, in chapter 2. Mm. It's sudden, violent, it's not tranquil, it's not gradual. Uh, another argument for it is it comes after the total destruction of the kings of men. In other words, there's no parallel kingdom of God mentality. There's no messianic kingdom at the same time you have a human kingdom. Uh, they're sequential. They're not simultaneous or parallel. Uh, ironically, the, the legs of iron uh, were not destroyed at Jesus' first coming. So some people would want to say that uh, at the first coming, that's when the kingdom gets established. But Rome was not defeated. Uh, th there was no crushing of the iron or the iron and clay at the first coming of Christ. So it must relate to the second coming. Hmm. And, uh, and then uh, all of the kingdoms are, are political and physical kingdoms. And so when this one happens, as it says in Daniel, but in Revelation 10, 11, when the seventh angel sounds the trumpet, it says, then the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. So the sequence here is parallel to what you have in Revelation so the chronology of it, the suddenness of it, the destruction of it, uh, the absolute destruction of all human kingdoms, it is the final stage climactic to prior to eternity. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, I did want to ask, since you mentioned it, what are some of the opposing views to premillennialism? Uh, well, you have amillennialism, which means there's no uh, kingdom of a, a thousand years that's expected. They would spiritualize that, and uh, they they would think that Christ is currently reigning over the world spiritually, so it's a spiritual kingdom. It's not physical. It's not political in any way. It's not earthly manifestation, and so uh, that would be amillennialism. Postmillennialism holds that Christ coming to the earth after the church uh, you know, in other words, when the church uh, basically becomes all that God wants it to be at the end of time, uh, then Christ comes and you're at, at the end of the age, uh, totally. So those are those are the, probably the two opposing views uh, to premillennialism. Do you do you know off the top of your head where they would get support for those ideas? Well. I think in some respects, it's it's passages, well, number one, it comes, it stems really from a, a, a hermeneutic that you can't interpret to prophecy literally. Okay. So 
really is rooted in uh, in a hermeneutical question, but uh, and, and that raises the issue, you know, of uh, of hermeneutics, which we can talk about when whenever in this you you want to, but uh, it it basically would say you can't take chapter twenty of Revelation literally, Got and so there must be some kind of a spiritual interpretation of that. And the spiritual interpretation, and obviously we wouldn't deny the fact that Christ is the king who exercised his authority when he came on planet Earth the first time. Uh, and so he said, if I cast out demons by, uh, you know, the finger of God, then the, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So there's elements of God's kingdom program, God's kingdom work that that happen and are exercised through the ministry of Christ. Uh, you know, miracles over creation, etc., but the the issue is uh, is there a difference between as the psalmist says God reigns as king forever, and so he's always been the king. The question is what does the kingdom look like, and a kingdom has to be a realm uh, over which God rules in sovereign authority. And so the question is the realm. So they would say he reigns in the spiritual realm, but not in the physical realm. Got it. I guess uh, kind of pertaining to that. So I would I would say that some amillennialists and possibly postmillennialists would say that maybe premillennialists take Revelation and Daniel too literally, and I wanted to give you a couple examples. Um, for example, in Revelation twenty, which you just mentioned, if that was to be taken totally literally, then shouldn't there be literal cities or countries named Gog and Magog? And is Satan literally a dragon? Those are both things that Revelation 20 says. You bet. You bet. Great question. Uh, those of us who are premillennialists who believe in a literal interpretation do not deny that there are symbols and figures of speech. That's a, a misnomer. Some people think, well, you take it literally, therefore you don't think anything's figurative or, or uh, you know, metaphorical. We obviously don't believe Jesus is a four-footed woolly burger, you know, <laughs> he's the love of God that takes away the sin of the world. We're not that naive, obviously. Right. But uh, symbols do meaning. I think probably a great discussion is found in Bernard Ram's, it's an old book called Protestant Biblical Interpretation, where he distinguishes the difference between the language and the meaning. And there's literal language that has literal meaning. In other words, 42 people went out, you know, went to the event. But it, when I say everybody and his brother is uh, watching to see what the uh, politics are going to do this year, you know, none of us believe that we're only talking about men and brothers right. and have no women involved. So the language it can be literal, uh, excuse me, the language can be figurative, but the meaning can be literal. Mm. And so there's a difference between what we call, and Bernard Ram would call it plain literal language, with literal meaning and figurative language with literal meaning. So even a figure of speech, uh, if I say you're cool, I don't mean your t it's temperature. I mean you're good. And uh, and there's no there's no way to get around the literal intent is cool. It means good. It's a figurative expression, but it has always literal meaning. So one of the misnomers is that if you have figurative language, you don't have figurative mean. I mean, if you have figurative language, you don't have literal meaning. But all figurative language is intended for literal meaning. So when it talks about Satan, that serpent of old who is the devil, you know, the dragon imagery, uh, not, you know, the, the imagery of a dragon like uh, he prowls about like a roaring lion, you have multiple descriptions of Satan. None of us think he's an animal. 
nor a dragon, you know, uh, nor a snake, uh, but the serpent of old who is the devil. And you have lion imagery for him. You have dragon imagery for him. What do those metaphors mean? There's no question that they have the idea of mean, destructive, evil. Uh, that's the intended meaning, and that's what is borne out in the context. So when you have, for example, a thousand years, you can say, all right, is that a round number? It's obviously a longer period of time than uh, so many days or so many years. And so if you have a seven-year period or a seven-year period that's divided into three and a half and three and a half, as the scriptures seem to do with the tribulation, a thousand is a whole lot longer than that. (laughs) And so uh, uh, the same thing you have in Revelation 20 with Satan being bound I think the, the literal question then is, what does that mean, uh, bound with a chain in a bottomless pit? Well, if he's a spiritual being, how do you how do you have chains around him, and how do you have him in a pit if he's spiritual? Hmm. The imagery of being bound is interpreted within the context, in other words, so that he won't deceive the nations, you know, during that period of time. Hmm. So here comes back to our, our premillennial question of the timing issue, and this, I think, is critical for us to understand in the book of Revelation. Satan, according to Peter, is walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's the present age. And all kinds of New Testament talk about uh, watching out for him, you know, resisting him so he'll flee. Well, then you have a period of binding in which then he can't deceive. Then you have a period with him being released so he can deceive again for a short period of time in the chapter 20. So you have deceit, especially during the tribulation period, through the the beast, the false prophet, etc., the dragon imagery. Then you have a period of non-deceit in which he's restricted from deceiving for a thousand years. Then you have deceit again. So I just love to play that. When is he bound? When is he not? And when is he released? And if you put the sequence of scripture together, all the epistles warn about his deceit now during the period of the church. He obviously in the tribulation that's going to be intensified, but then that's followed by a period when there's no deceit, hmm. and then after that period of time called a thousand years, he is released to deceive again. So just watching the events, forget the amount of time, round number or not, symbolic number or not, you have deceit, a period of no deceit followed by deceit again. So my question is, when does that fit into human history? And I think the book of Revelation uh, becomes much clearer when you see that. A second issue that you have with that is that those who reign for that thousand years have been martyred during the tribulation, and they are resurrected to reign for a thousand years. So if we've not had a resurrection of the martyrs from the tribulation yet, then we don't have a millennial reign yet, and therefore the sequence of tribulation followed by millennium and what debarcates that is the coming of Christ, obviously, then we haven't had the tribulation events of that martyrdom with the Antichrist, nor have we had the resurrection of those martyrs who reign with him a thousand years. So you have to have martyrdom, resurrection before the thousand years. And that's why we still think that kingdom, that period is is yet future. That's interesting. That makes a lot of sense, honestly. It It, does. It's hard to put that, I feel like, for those of us who haven't gone to college or anything like that or, or just have a really preliminary understanding of this, sometimes we can't really put all of that together or we don't see all of it, the big picture. We just read these 
different verses in, in their different contexts, and mm-hmm. we don't really know what it means. So the way that you put that together is really helpful for us. I, th- I think we talk about uh, Calvin, for example, and uh, Luther talked about sensus uh, literalis. What's the literal sense, the normal sense? And Calvin said, when the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I think there's some good sense to that. Yeah, that's <laughs> so awesome. If people, if people will just read Revelation, basically Revelation uh, 8, or excuse me, Revelation 6 to 19, and just lay it out on a piece of paper. I did this years ago in a chart. And you just chart those events out as they are unfolded in the book. And don't try and say there's a different time frame between chapter 19 and chapter 20. 19 comes before 20, but forget the verse references in the chapter division. Just read the narrative and watch the sequence. And that's why I said deceit, death, resurrection, reign, during no receipt, no deceit, then released, deceit, and final destruction. The other thing that's interesting is, as Revelation describes the, the, the false trinity, the, you know, the, the Antichrist, the beast, the false prophet, etc., from 13, they are cast into the lake of fire before the thousand years. And then at the end of the thousand years, when Satan is judged, it says that he is judged to basically go to the same place in the, in the, the lake of fire where the beast, the false prophet, etc., already are. So the judgment of the beast and the false prophet prior to the millennium, the judgment of Satan after the millennium, that sequence, again, on both sides of a thousand-year period of time, it's just a sequential thing that you just read read it, and it, and it becomes much plainer. And I, I, I had an old theologian one tell me, tell Mark, just tell him to keep reading. <laughs> <laughs> just read the Bible. And I love what somebody said, reading my Bible sheds a whole light on the commentaries. <laughs> That's awesome. I like that statement. Yeah, that's great. Um, Dr. Bailey, if you could just speak to the difference between historic and dispensational premillennialism. Sure. Uh, Historic premillennialism would believe uh, that the rapture of the church, the catching away, and I I, I heard somebody say, I don't even believe in a rapture, and I thought, well, that's too too bad since it's a biblical concept. (laughs) (laughs) It it's comes from the Latin, rapturo, which comes from the Greek, carpazo, which means to snatch away. And, uh, and that snatching away, whatever term you want to use, I'm, I'm fine for the snatch, snatch away of the church, if you want to use that language in 1 Thessalonians 4. But uh, historic premillennialists would believe that that happens at the end of the tribulation, prior to the millennium. Uh, premillennial dispensationalists would believe that that rapture happens prior to the tribulation and uh, seven years prior to uh, the second coming of Christ that starts the millennium. So that there's a gathering of the church in the air, as 1 Thessalonians 4 would say, before Christ lands on the Mount of Olives, as Zechariah 14 would say, that begins the the millennial or the messianic kingdom. Hmm. It's very interesting. One of the questions, there was a debate years ago between Dr. Earl Rodmacher who is the president of Western Seminary in Portland, and Bob Gundry, Robert Gundry at West at Westmont College, they debated on the pre-tribulational rapture. And I remember one of the great questions that Dr. Rodmacher asked Dr. Gundry is, if you have a post-tribulational rapture, then all the saints are glorified, resurrected, and or raptured, glorified bodies. 
then who goes into the millennium in, in their natural body to procreate, to live to be 100, as the, as the scripture talks about? Hmm. And that's a problem for a post-tribulational, you know, to have a rapture at the end of the tribulation and then people in their natural bodies who have not been glorified going into the millennium. I think that's a problem for a post-tribulational you know, uh, rapturist. Uh, but uh, so we at Dallas and uh, others obviously believe as dispensational premillennialists that Christ uh, will come for the church who's not, uh, you know, promised wrath of what the Lamb brings in Revelation. As First uh, Thessalonians uh, says, you're not destined for wrath, but for the obtaining of salvation. Uh, we believe that happens seven years prior to the physical return of Christ to the earth. Those two events, the, the rapture and the revelation, are off, often called the second coming. We believe there's just two parts of it, one in the air and then one to the earth seven years later that starts and launches with the sheep goat's judgment, you know, the millennial kingdom. Wow, I never heard that. Um, so the last thing is, uh, what are just some good resources for people to learn more about pre-millennialism? Uh, yeah, there's there's some great resources out there. Uh, it's an old book, but a great book. It's probably one of the most thorough. It was his doctoral dissertation by Dr. J. Dwight Pentecost called Things to Come. Uh, classic. It was a classic. <laughs> uh, Dr. Ryrie's uh, The Basis of Premillennial Faith is a classic. Uh, Dr. Walvoord, anything that Dr. Walvoord wrote, uh, he after he retired, he sat with a dictaphone and went page by page through the scripture and looked at every single prophecy of the scriptures. That's a that's a comprehensive uh, book. It's called Every Prophecy of the Bible. Hmm. Uh, then more recently, uh, three views of the millennium and beyond that uh, Zondervan published uh, a few years ago, uh, in which they're discussing all three views. Three people made their presentations of the different views. And then each one then responded to the other views. That's a, a very enlightening book. Uh, and it's called uh, Premillennialism, three, three Views of the Millennial, of the Millennium and Beyond. Uh, that's edited by Daryl Bach. And, uh, and then Dr. Campbell, a previous president here, is now with the Lord. He and Jeff Townsend, one of our grads, years ago did a, a book called A Case for Premillennialism and, and called A New Consensus. And there they weren't trying to... Uh, distinguished so much between historic and pre-mill, though they talk about it, but they were primarily arguing for a, a pre-millennial return of Christ and not really, you know, trying to nail down the rapture as such in that book. Got it. Mm -hmm. awesome. That's great. Yeah, that's a lot of great resources for anybody that's interested. Um, so I think we are going to wrap it up. I think that's all our questions. But uh, Dr. Bailey, I just wanted to thank you again. This is now your second interview on this show. You're becoming a regular. And uh, honestly, you are one of my favorites to have on the show. Like I said, uh, in the last time we had you on, you're one of my heroes in the faith. And uh, I think you're a great teacher. You're one, of the, you're one of the best people that we've had on the show at just explaining things to us, I feel like, and just um, really making it simple for us to understand. So, Dr. Bailey, thank you again for being on the show. Well, you're most welcome then uh thank you so much and hopefully we will talk to you again sometime all right sounds <laughs> good. all right sir bye take care thank you guys